You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Centers, Pastors Scott and Tina Witwan. Glory be to God. We've been talking about the evil day. I think this is the eighth segment uh, in that. And I've titled this subpart here, With All Your Heart. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Father, we thank you that you have made us aware that this is an evil day and that we must be watchmen on a wall. We must be uh, soldiers fully equipped. We must be ready to fight the good fight of faith with every step that we take, every breath that we breathe. Holy Spirit, today as we embark upon the Word, we ask that you help to reveal to us something that is missing in our life, some change we can make to be renewed by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We'll be sure to give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm not going to recap much this morning. In fact, as I'm, you know, the last two services, you know, we talked about finding something worth standing for, and then we talked about kneeling before God in prayer. I think it's important to make to find as believers that foundation in our life. What has God so inspired us to do that we're willing to stand up and do it? Reminds me of George Washington's quote that he said the American Christian would rather die on their feet than kneel under tyranny. And I think it's so important that as Christians we understand that there's going to be things that we need to stand up, be willing to be ridiculed, talked about, but there's also a time we need to understand that we need to spend time humbling ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Sometimes as Americans we think, well, we can, we can do it with that great old American spirit because we're Americans. But being an American doesn't get you into the grace of God. It does not get you an eternal relationship with your Heavenly Father. It's your trust in and reliance upon what Jesus said, His Word. Why? Because He is the Word. And so we need to recognize that that if we want to do more for God, then we need more of God on the inside. Amen? Because in this evil day, we have entered into this evil day of complacency. Complacency is a feeling of contentment or self-satisfaction especially when coupled with an unawareness of danger, trouble, or controversy. See, we're living in a great day of evil where our society seeks to make what is wrong right and make what is just evil. There is great danger and there's trouble and there's controversy. But far too long the church has had 
his head in the sand like an ostrich hiding from some predator. We are the people that God has called to make a difference. We're the people that God has called. Not somebody else. For too long, Christians have just gone along to get along. They've done it with people for the, that have had just good intentions. And say, well, well, they've got good intentions. Let's just, let's, just, let's just do it that way because it'll be less harmful to us. By doing so, we've allowed the state, or what the Bible would say is Caesar. You know, Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And we have misinterpreted that to, to assume that, that anything political belongs to Caesar, and he has a right to do anything if he's governmental. But in this nation, we were established. We saw that we were established totally different. We were established where, where the power... And control lies within the people. But what has happened is now, as we have allowed educators to uneducate these last generations, the government is seen and looked upon as the answer bearer. So we no longer, as a church, can allow the the state through its education, through its medical profession, through, through its courts of injustice. Many of them have become that way. We see more and more every day two, two sets of justices, one for them and one for the others. But the church can no longer opt for activities, distractions, substitutions for Christ and His church, His ministry and His mission. And we've done that. We've tried to fill things in, in the place. By going along, we've allowed these voices of selfishness, greed, control, yes, the flesh, to guide our complacency. There is a way that seems right to the man, but in the end, it is destruction. You can find that in Proverbs 14.12 and in 16.25. Well, it'll just be okay. Well, the teachers know what they're doing. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. The easy go-along way, it's a broad path. It leads to destruction. It leads to destruction relationally, maritally, mentally, financially, and physically. Go with me to Matthew chapter 7. I want to read verses 13 and 14 from the Amplified Bible. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and spacious and broad is the way that leads to destruction. How many times have you heard him say, Well, you know, you're just old fashioned, you're just a prude, you're just phobic about whatever, you know, the, the choice word of the day is. The new one is you're racist. So now they're saying, hey, you should accept everything and everybody. Wide is the gate and spacious and broad is the way that leads away to destruction. And many are those who are entering through it. And unfortunately, I have to say that much of the church 
is entering through it. Here about a year ago, I pulled up and parked in a church parking lot in order to use my cell phone waiting for a meeting. And I didn't really recognize the denomination. So when I had a second, I looked it up. And I saw that this denomination believes that the Word of God, the Bible, is not for today, but that God wants the church today to prophetically speak the Word that He has for the church today, and and that the church should be guided by the prophet's prophetic utterance. Well, it would be true if it was based upon something, right? But it's not. You can't eliminate God's Word and say, well, write our own Bible. We'll pick the parts that we like, and then we'll let whoever the leader of the church is tell you prophetically what it is you should and shouldn't do, what social norm you should buy into or not buy into. Broad is that way, and many are entering into it, even in the name of the church. Verse 14, but the gate is narrow, contracted by pressure, and the way is strained and compressed that leads away to life. And few are those who find it. See, God's way is a very narrow way. In fact, as Jesus said it this way, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That is a narrow way. And though they are becoming, the world is becoming, our society is becoming much more hostile towards people of faith, people who believe in sound doctrine, we are called to enter by the narrow way. We are to be in this world, but not of this world. Amen? So let me ask you, what is your narrow way? What has God asked you to do? What has God called you to do? Whatever we do for God, we should do with all of our ability. Ecclesiastes 9.10 tells us that whatever we do for God, we should do with all of our ability. You can't be complacent and on fire for God. When you're on fire for God and doing what God's called you to do with all your might, with all your heart and all your strength, it breaks the box of complacency. So what is your narrow way? We need to turn your complacency into competency. I thought that was kind of cute when that came to me. Turn your complacency into competency. Here's some synonyms for competency. It's your capability. Be more capable for God. It's your ability, it's your skill, it's your aptitude, your proficiency, your know-how, your experience and expertise. See, if you've been apathetic or you've been complacent in a certain area, find what God says about it and make it an explosively powerful force in your life. You know, when I used to coach um, sports, one of the things that in our athletic training 
that we went through for, for muscle training, you know, for, for different sports. Everyone has different uh, athletic training series, whether you're playing football, basketball, baseball, volleyball, whatever it is. But one of the things I thought was the most profound that I, that I heard from any of the, the instructors was, your players will only be as strong as their weakest muscle group. Because when it comes time for endurance, when it comes time to, you, you, you've given all, you, you're on the verge of fatigue, when you're on the verge of collapse, if you have not worked on the weakest of your muscles, your body will not perform at its highest elevation. You still may be in shape to do, to do uh, uh, curls, you may still be in shape to do push-ups, you may be able to do pull-ups, but your weak muscles may not have the ability to make the move to get into the gap to get to the quarterback. Your muscles may not have the, the strength that they need in the time of exhaustion because your weak muscles now have given up on you to cover the, the wide receiver. You may not have the strength in order to hit the ball out of the park in the bottom of the ninth inning because you're fatigued. Well, you're, we're just like that. If we don't work as Christians on the things that we're weak on, we're all weak on something. For some of us, it's prayer. For some of us, it's sharing the gospel. For some of us, maybe laying on hands. For some of us, it may be uh, having a good word to give to somebody. For some of us, it may be not good at spreading joy. There was a sales trainer, the best that I've ever known, named Zig Ziglar. Some of you may have heard of him. But he says, the greatest thing that you can do in life is give a smile away, and it costs you nothing. When you're walking in the mall, do you smile at people as you walk by? It's amazing how many of them will go from just a downtrodden face to a, a, a bright little face smile to you. What are you weak at in your faith? Turn that into your strengths, your prayer life, your word life your church life, your giving life, your family life, your health life. You know, the Bible is full of wisdom. It'll direct your giving, it'll direct your living, and it'll direct your mercy, it'll direct your grace and favor, it'll direct your child raising. The Bible is full of sound wisdom. Amen? So let's... Build capacity. So how do we check what we've been complacent in? And some people, well, Pastor, I really don't know what I've been complacent in. I feel like I'm a good Christian. I come here every Sunday. Uh, every now and then I make it on Thursday. You know, and, and I even tithe every now and then. You know, how do I know whether I'm being a good Christian? When you need to make a decision in life, what is your thought process? When you get a big bill in the mail you weren't expecting, what is your thought process? When you get a pain in your body, what is your thought process? When you get a call in the middle of the night, what is your thought process? See, James says if you're double-minded, you'll be unstable in all your ways. James 1.8. See, we're supposed to be people of faith, morning, noon, and night. We are supposed to be stable in the things that we think and how we react to things. When you get a diagnosis, do you think, what medication can I take? 
Maybe what therapy can I do? Proverbs 17, 22 says, A merry heart does good like a medicine. Is your natural reaction to say, Wow, Jesus, we just found out something we didn't know. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to see you work in this area of my life. Wow, Jesus, my kid just called and told me that. I didn't know that. I've got something new to believe for. I'm excited about it. Or do you go into depression? Or do you now start telling everybody about your problems? Or do you think about how Jesus has already taken care of it? No, I'm not talking about your prayer partner that you go and say, hey, look, I'm fighting this battle. I need you to stand with me. But there are people that I know who are believers, and when you meet them, you say, how are you doing? And they say, oh, just rotten. You wouldn't believe it. Two days ago, this just happened to me. Well, last week when I met you, it was two days before something else happened to you. You go, I know, it just seems like the way it goes for me in life. you got to check yourself. Got to check what you're saying. I tell you, I still think the, the best way to find out if what you are, think you're believing is really manifesting in your heart is to record yourself. See how many people you want to get into, the, get into caring. Take care. Worry about everything. Take care. Worry about everything. Take care. Worry about everything. How many times you say, oh, that just slays me. Oh, that joke just killed me. I can't afford that. Can't afford that. Can't afford that. I'm broke. I'm broke. How many times? You don't, I guarantee you, you don't even notice. Because I've had to do this to myself. And sometimes I'll be talking with people and go, where in the world did that come from? I thought I had rooted all of that out of there. So when you get a pain or an ailment in your body, do you think about how Jesus had already healed your sickness? I mean, here's the awesome thing. Part of the covenant was health. Even before Jesus got here, he promised to heal our bodies before Jesus got here. He told us he'd take sickness away from the midst of us. He told us that, that we would have life. We could choose it. He told us that we could live in the blessing, Deuteronomy 1 through 14. And he says, and if you don't listen to the word and you don't do what I said, well, then verses 15 through the end of the chapter are all yours. They're all the curses. I choose not to live in the curse. Amen? So we need to turn our complacency into competency. And we need to do it with all of our heart. The Bible never tells us to honor God with part of our life, part of our heart, or part of our time. He tells us to honor Him with our whole heart. And sometimes I have to take a look at my life and just go, okay, what, how do I make this all work? How do I honor you with my whole heart? I've got A, B, and C to do. And sometimes he just says to me, well, look back 200 years ago. Were they worrying about those kind of things? I mean, think about this. I was just watching an old black and white western here not too long ago. And they had to go 60 miles out in the desert to find a salt mine to get salt into their big barrels to take back to the ranch. And the boy asked his dad, how many, how many miles do you think we'll get today, Dad, headed back towards the ranch? And he said, we can probably make about 20 miles today. Last time I went 20 miles, it took me 20 to 30 minutes. and take me all day. How much more time do we have to do the things that we need to get done 
than the generations that came before us. We have more time. I think sometimes we're not as good as stewards with our time. So how do we honor Him? We can't do it with part of our life, part of our heart, or part of our time. That's what the world's been saying for us to do for decades. Always justifying why less of our life, our heart, and our time should be devoted to God. Can't believe you go to church every Sunday. Can't believe you go twice, morning service, evening service, and midweek. Can't believe you're spending that much time with God. They never complain about people spending that much time in bars. I mean, it's true. It takes me four hours. It takes me the same amount of time that it would take for most of you for a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening service. It takes me four hours to play a round of golf. It takes me four hours. Nobody ever complained about a round of golf taking me four hours. But I've heard, you really got to go to church? Can't we get this done? See, they always justify why... Less of our life, our heart, and time should be devoted to God. Because this is an evil day. The new thing I'm hearing in churches is, I don't need the big box brand. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't have to. You can just watch it on live stream. There's a reason why God designed the church, the corporate worship, the fellowship, for His anointing to flow. That's why there's power, multiplied power, when we're together. Thank God for live stream. I'm glad that you're watching. I'm glad that you're having an opportunity to bring the Word of God into your home. But it is not a substitute. It's an addition. It helps bridge the gap when you can't get to church. It helps bridge the gap when there's an, a, a, an issue. It helps bridge the gap maybe when you're traveling. I mean, there's a lot of things that live stream has done, but it has never been intended and should not be intended to replace the local church. So let's finish with this, Proverbs chapter 3. Let me read verses 1 through 6. We'll just go through verse 4 here to start with. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablets of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. See, God's Word must be in our memory. It's got to be in our thoughts. It's got to be in our, in our meditation constantly and continually. Because if you're not thinking on the Word of God, you'll be thinking on something else. You know, I absorb news. I, I like to read the news because I want to know what's going on. I need, because of my businesses, I need to know where certain things in the economy are, and that kind of thing. But I cannot dwell on that. When I get the information I need, I let not my heart be troubled. I believe in Him, right? So I'm going to cast any care I have on Him. Let Him take it. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And I'm going to go away with what I need. But I'm not going to let my memories, my thoughts, continually be on what CNN has to say. I am not going to think on the devil all day long. You start thinking about the devil all day long, you get devilish thoughts. Right? What did Jesus say about the eye? He says, man, you, just, you, you can't even look at the wrong stuff. If your eye is offending you, he says, pluck it out. It's better to go into heaven maimed than to burn in hell by lust. So we need to think and be focused on God's word continually. Joshua said, meditate on it day and night. 
so that it would be well with you. So that our hearts are filled and we have divine speech. Because, see, what you put in here, what you allow in here, that's why the Bible says that we have to stop all of the negative thoughts. We've got, we've got to stop them with the Word of God. We've got to hold them captive. So that the thoughts that we do get, the things that we're meditating on, can get to our heart and transform our life. And then they will define our speech, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speech, speaks, and that's how you can define whether you're in complacency or not. You put a recorder on yourself all day long and go back and listen to the things that you've said, and you can tell where you've been complacent in life. This is the answer. It's the key. It's the formula. It's the solution to peace and long life. To peace and long life. Worry, worry will tear you up. You know, people who get into worry and bitterness and all the rest of that stuff, it builds roots, manifests itself as sickness. I want to I live in, a, in peace. I like the challenges that we get in life. God has given us the opportunity to face challenges. It's helped, it helps us grow. But we have to face them with peace. We can't face them with worry because that's care. And what are you supposed to do with care? Cast all your care on him and let him care for you. Amen? And then it says God's word will fill us with mercy. See, when, when you're absorbing God's word, now all of a sudden you're, you start thinking about, how I, they wronged me. How can I bless them in their wrong? How can I show grace? See, this draws us into being seekers of truth. It wants us to, that, that draws us into wanting to seek the kingdom of God. It brings favor, or in, in New Testament terms, grace, which is the unmerited favor of God. But it doesn't only bring it from God, it brings it also from mankind. So that when you go into a restaurant, they say, well, the cook was making this, and he had a double portion, so here's a double portion on your plate. You say, bring me the take-home box. I got two meals for one. Favor. Favor, the favor of God. Proverbs verse 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. When will trusting in God be good enough for us as believers? When will it? We need to make his word, our reliance on it, is more trustworthy than the bridges we drive across, the stairways we climb, the beds we get into, the chairs we sit on. See, our reliance, our trust in Him needs to be in all that He wills for us to do. And that should be our pursuit. Trust in the Lord with all of our heart, for all of our livelihoods, our families, our health. See, the doctor tells you what he thinks, but what we do next is up to us. It's up to you. Will we trust in the Lord? I don't have time to go into it, but think about Luke chapter 8 and the woman with the issue of blood. She had spent everything she had trying to get healed, trying to get well, and then she heard Jesus was coming. And she did everything that religiously by the religious law, 
by the law of sin and death that she was forbidden to do. She was unclean, and she pressed through the crowd to get hold of the kingdom of God, to get hold of the hem of Jesus' garment. What are you willing to do? What are we willing to do to press in? Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. See, at some point in this life or in the next, everyone will acknowledge him. Why not make it this life? Why not trust him in this life? Why not not take that step today? Asking the Holy Spirit to show us his will, his will for our life. What does he want us to do? When does he want us to do it? What does he want us to do in this world? What does he want us to do from his word? You know, that's how you find his will. His will is right here. Well-meaning Christians saying, I just don't know the will of God for my life. Well, it's in here. I really don't know what God wants me to do. It's in here. I mean, I can give you a little bit of a push. He made you a minister of reconciliation. Why don't you start there? But quit being such a lazy thing. Open this up and find out what God's will is for your life. Maybe he wills for you to write a book like Dr. Miles. Maybe he desires you to be laying hands on people like Dr. Strandholt. I don't know what his desire is in your life. Maybe he desires you to be a theologian like Michael. I don't know, but he does, and it's right here. Trust in the Lord with all of our heart. The word contains his will. I mean, think about this. Beloved, I desire above all things that you prosper and live in health even as your soul prospers. That's his will. That's his will for us. His will is your divine health. He bore in his body on the tree our sin. That we, having died to sin, might live to righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. Amen? You were healed physically, financially, spiritually. You were healed. And this is Healing Service Sunday. And if you would like prayer this morning, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your life. Whatever you're believing God for, that's what we're here for is the church. It's part of our great commission. Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then he said, lay hands on the sick. To take up serpents. He says, there's anything, you drink anything deadly, it won't hurt you. The anointing of God. So if you need prayer this morning, I want to invite you to come up for prayer. You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Whitwam. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, your word says, If I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321. 
or by email at info at valorcc.com. That's info at valorcc.com. Or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona, 85296.